Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. Uh, the New England Revolution are coming off of a 3-3 draw at Vancouver. Uh, the Revs take an important road point that's always a good thing, but blew a pair of leads uh, under a, a Christian Teixeira hat trick. Uh, really, really frustrating result considering the way the game unfolded. Uh, I'm Greg Johnstone. I'm filling in for Sean Donahue today. Sean is uh, on vacation celebrating in Madrid with the new Champions League uh, victors over the weekend. Even though I'm the reserve host, uh, I am joined by our first team commentator, Brian O'Connell. Brian, how are you doing today? Hey, Greg. Great, great to get ready to get the show going. Yeah, I, I, I hear that. Uh, so, bit of a wild game all the way around. Uh, Revolution hopped out to a two nothing lead early behind an own goal and a uh, very nice finish from Christian Pena, uh, but quickly blew a game with a couple of sloppy defensive plays, uh, and then after a, another Teal Bunbury goal, conceded another late goal that ended <laughs> resulted in a final three to three scoreline. Really, really Jacqueline and Hyde performance from the Revolution. Brian, what was your main takeaway from uh, last night's game? I think the biggest thing, I mean, the most noticeable thing about that game was just just the improvement that the Revs need at just fullback. And I think I think it was more evident than ever in that game. I think you saw both. You saw Somi. You saw Somi struggle. You saw Andrew Farrell struggle, and you saw even Claude Dielma struggle. I know he's not. I know he was kind of out of position in that game, um, kind of playing out in the wing. Um, and I just thought it was a really, really kind of a, a disjointed performance all overall from the defense. Um, but no, more, most noticeably, you saw that the uh, you saw that the fullback struggled really the hardest, especially when you consider the kind of games that Tichera and, um, and Alfonso Davies had, because they just they just ran wild on uh, along the wings, and um, and then when you have obviously a guy like Hai Kamara getting not one but two sitters, and you know forcing the revs absolutely butchering those those sitters, um, you know I think the only thing that you can take away the biggest takeaway from that game for me was just the was the lack of cohesion and the and the evident struggles from Andrew Farrell from Claude Dielma and you know if you want to go further and look up further up the field the wing back uh, Gabriel Somi so I just think that uh, that the biggest the, the biggest takeaway was just just their their struggles which have only you know very very evident in that game yeah and I agree and I, I think too a big factor for Vancouver that they were told at halftime a halftime adjustment seemed to be that they seem to be attacking the wings a lot more they seem to have a lot more runs up the, the wings where they had a lot more space. Um, right after that second revolution goal, uh, almost from a deep standstill, you know, the, the ball gets kicked back into play, and then immediately Marcel Dion goes right down the left wing and totally exploits that right side. And then Somi also got a little caught out of position, and, and Teixeira had a wide-open volley into the net. It was a, a nice volley to his credit, but um, a lot of guys not marked on the wings it seemed like the fullbacks really kind of let the team down this game. A lot of guys getting in behind space. 
Um, out of curiosity, do you think a lot of it had to do with the performance of the, fieldback, the fullbacks, or do you think a lot of this blame goes to the kind of 5-3-2, 3-5-2 formation that Friedel has used in the past two weeks? Last week against the crew at home, it seemed to hold up until the very end when they conceded a goal off a set piece. You can't really say much about the formation on that play, but this week it seemed like it all kind of fell apart in the second half. Yeah, I would say if you had to pick one, I'd say that the formation didn't do the refs any favors. Um, I can see the idea behind you know going with the three five two slash five three two, where you essentially have you essentially have five defenders on the field and in that kind of formation um, with Somi Dielma, Amy Baba, Farrell, and Bai. Um, obviously, Somi and Bai, you're more attacking, so to speak, attacking options in the in the on the defense. Um, but I think it, it creates a lot of pressure, puts a lot of pressure on guys like. Jaleel and Ibabi and Andrew Farrell to really make sure that they stay turned on the entire game. And uh, I think it was very evident that um, that Andrew Farrell wasn't turned on on two of those goals. You know, just get just whether it's poor position. I think it was on the first goal. I think I, w- I was watching replays that, uh, of that goal and Farrell was near like the halfway line. I'm mean, like, if you're if your center back, I mean, if your right back near the set, is near the halfway line that close and, you know, you don't really have much much left behind you. Um, you better be you better be really quick to to turn it to turn back and transition back to defense because because a team like the Whitecaps will exploit that and and they certainly did three times uh, on Saturday so um, I think that the system doesn't I think the formation didn't really do them any favors I think it looked better last week um, you know versus Columbus where it kind of like fell apart at the very end um, but I think this was a, I think this was a, a kind of uh, a situation in which the the formation really didn't do the refs any favors throughout throughout the game, especially in the second half, where it just seemed like you know the the Whitecaps made the adjustments and they just you know ran ran, ran rampant against uh, a, you know a defense that just looked disorganized and and not communicating particularly well and not performing particularly well, um, you know on those goals and on those almost goals uh, when you take Kai Kamara's two chances into consideration and. Uh, the, the the shots that went off the post from Felipe and um, and to share early on. Yeah, and and I'll add on to that because I know the the goal you're talking about. Yeah, Farrell is up at half half field, uh, and again, this is coming right off of a Revolution goal. Uh, he's up at half field, and Brandon Bay is a little bit further up the field, kind of playing as a kind of wing forward midfield type position, uh, and that's when Dion runs straight down the side. No one picks him up. It's interesting because it seems like. Even though they're going with this formation, Friedel still wants Andrew Farrell to push up the field uh, and kind of not necessarily get involved in the offense, but be a bridge between the back line and Brandon By or the attacking midfield. And it's kind of the same way with Somi on the left side, where he's also kind of pushing up the field. Not so much Somi. Brandon By is they really want to push him as, as an attacking threat. Somi yesterday didn't seem to get as involved in the offense. I know last week uh, Chris Tierney was a big part of the offense, so... I think the idea with this formation is that the Revs have threats on both sides of the field. But the problem with that is that when there's a counter coming back the other way, there's really only two defenders and the wingback has to make sure that they get back to cover that far side. And that's clearly a weakness of the Revs. They clearly haven't gotten that down because on the first goal we talked about, Somi was a little bit slow to get back. Brandon Bay was a little bit slow to get back as well. But uh, the the goal was on Somi's man. The second goal which again was almost out of a, a restart, the, the Whitecaps score. Um, the Revs kind of play the ball around in the, in, along the back line. It's really, really sloppy. Farrell slips down. Uh, Matt Turner kind of threw a pass to him that was not on the ground. It was, it was a bit hard for Farrell to handle, uh, and it ends up in the back of the net for the Revs. 
Uh, Somi was a little bit up the field. I think he was looking for a long pass. He, he just wasn't back. Uh, and then on the third goal, it came off of a set piece where Fagundes does a cross into the play. Somi's kind of waiting outside of the 18-yard box. And then the Whitecaps regain possession, and, and Reyna is wide open down the field. Um, and so not every I, I don't want to blame all those goals on Somi or on the back line because maybe that Bradfield wants to play with those wingbacks pushing up. But there's a huge, huge liability where there's going to be an open gap at, at, at the back post. And if you get a team like Vancouver who's able to cross the ball all across the face of net, um, you're going to have open guys. And it was really, really exploited, not only in those three goals, but we also talked about the other chances. Um, I mean, the Revs are in a way lucky to get away with only three goals conceded yesterday. So I think with the formation, I don't want to sound like a bit of a hypocrite because I know in previous episodes we've talked about how the Revs are set up for a decent five-man type back line with Bai and Somi. Uh, and Tierney, for that matter, where Tierney could be up on the left wing and, and cross balls into the box. Um, but it, it seems like what they're gaining offensively isn't doesn't match what they're giving up defensively. Uh, and I also have a stat here. I looked up on who scored. Uh, you know, you'd think a, five, a three, five, three, five, two or a 5-3-2, you'd be getting a lot of crosses into the box. The Revs were 4 for 23 on crosses yesterday. Three of those successful crosses came from Fagundes. Last week, they were 4 for 24, all four of those crosses coming from Chris Tierney. So this formation is a bit of a work in progress at best. I'm not sure if they stick with it going forward or if they revert back to the formation they were playing earlier in the season. Uh, But I'm really not a huge fan of the the 5-3-2. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think I think you're you're being generous in calling it a work in progress because I think I think for the most part it was pretty much a disaster on Saturday. And I also don't want to like say that like to your point, Greg. I don't want to say that it was just all the defenders. I do. There were a couple points where I think you're asking a guy like like Luis Quesado to do a lot more work too. And to me, he just didn't show up in that game. I think I I think it was the second goal in which he had an opportunity to basically you know clear the cross and just basically allowed it to go right by him. Um, so I think between that and I think just in general, the man marking in the final third was just not not what it needed to be because um, not only because of the defense, but because I think the three five two also demands a lot from guys like Wilfred Zahibo and Luis Caicedo. And I would actually just blame Caicedo a little bit more only for the fact that I think he has the ability and I think he has the athleticism to really make that make that formation tick. Because um, if he does well, I think it alleviates a lot of the problems um, that guys like Farrell, by Dielma, and Somi encountered. And I just don't think he had a particularly good game. I think that he he also um, didn't do his part because there was just a lot of space to operate, not only on the wings, but you know, you, with Tichera making those 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 runs, those far post runs and stuff. I just don't think I think it's a, it's obviously a collaborative effort among the entire backline, but it also you have to have a guy like Caicedo who um, needs to do his part, and I don't think he did his, his part. And I think that, I don't know if it's just a matter of the fact that, you know, he's not familiar with the system. He's also getting acclimated to, you know, to, to the to having five slash three defenders, depending upon where they are in the field. So I think that he also deserves some share of the blame. But I also think that going forward, I think Brad Friedel really does have to give a hard look at whether or not um, he continues with this with this formation because now that teams are starting to see, you know, the gaps and the you know the essentially the weaknesses of the system, I think they're going to just you look at tape and just use it to exploit it more. And obviously, that's not a situation you want to have going forward. 
especially as the season as the season goes into the summer months and as the games get tougher and tougher uh, during the second half. I almost feel bad saying these these things too because I think you we all followed Jay Heaps last year where he sent out the same eleven in the same formation and you know mixed results. But a part of me was screaming, you know, play this guy, play this guy, play play Femi. You know, there, there's use your depth. You know, don't just run these legs into the ground. And now we have Brad Friedel who is rotating in players. We're getting to see different guys. We're getting to see what they can do. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of that. Uh, and as I say, like, I, I'm not totally opposed. I really like the idea of if you had told me two weeks ago that Friedel was coming out in a 5-3-2 or 3-5-2 uh, with Bai and Somi on the wings. Um, I even mentioned last week Somi, you know, I thought Somi would be a great fit in this system. You know, I, I would have been all for this. I, I think it's great that he's trying different things. I just don't think this thing works, uh, which and as I say, considering the amount of chances that Vancouver created, I can't imagine we see this against Atlanta and against uh, the New York Red Bulls. I just think they're going to be way, 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 way uh, too exposed in the back. And moving on to another interesting decision from Brad Friedel, the first substitute of the game, Brian Wright came on, which I think is a bit of a story in itself. Uh, but I first want to get your opinion on if you agree with Claude Yelna being the guy coming off. Uh, and just to give a little more context, that left the revolution with a backline of Brandon By, Andrew Farrell, Jaleel Anibaba and Gabriel Somi. And at the time, I believe the Revolution were, were trying to protect a one-goal lead. That was a bit of a head-scratcher to me. Did you feel the same way? It was totally a head-scratcher because, you know, you're not only taking off one of your defenders in, a, in, in basically a shootout, but you're taking off your captain. Um, so it, I, that was probably, to me, one of the most controversial subs that Beatles made all season because, you know, I, I, I guess I kind of get it. You know, you're looking at this as... Uh, as a game in which you know a team that scores last wins, um, but at the same time, if you're taking off if you're taking off one of your defenders in a game that is that that needs itself to settle down to if you're wanting to get the point out of it, I don't see why you would take off Dielma. I mean, I don't know if it was kind of a punishment or what have you, because Dielma certainly didn't have a great game. It's almost like him saying, "Okay, I have essentially five defenders in the field, and I'm taking off, you know, Dielma who." Is my highest highest price and the the one that I'm expecting the most out of in favor, you know, to bring on attacking an attacking sub is just to me. I think there's, I feel like there's more to that story than what we saw. So I don't I don't know. That's just that's just my take on it. The one real head scratcher to me, and, and and I agree with everything. It's it's not only one of your more reliable center backs, but it's also your captain, the the probably the most experienced player on your back line the one that you think that in a game where there's so many open guys, the one that might be able to organize everything, you, you think that would be Claude Diala. Um, but, but the other thing that I, I don't get, and I, I, I like Andrew Farrell. I think he's, he's a average to good right back. I don't like Andrew Farrell as a center back. I don't understand why he's being pushed into uh, the center back role as a right center back as a three man back line. I, I get it. You can kind of push him up and he can kind of get back and recover. I thought Andrew Farrell overall had a, a actually a pretty decent game. I think he had something like six tackles or something like that, or, or six deflections. He, he played fairly decently, but I don't think in a, in a two center back, two man center back pairing, I don't think Andrew Farrell should be one of them, especially when you're protecting a lead. Maybe if you were down one and you wanted some extra speed along the back line. Okay. I get it. But I thought Claude Yelna, even though he had a bit of an average game, he got beat a little bit on the right side. 
I think there's just so many liabilities along that back line that you're almost asking to be scored upon. And, and as I say, Jaleel Anibaba is really the only true center back of those four. And coming into the season, he was your number three center back. I know he's MLS starting quality, but I thought it just left with way, way, way too much um, uh, liability, as I say. Uh, and I think the Revs paid for it. But the, the other thing, too, I was going to bring up is that uh, this is the second straight game we've seen Brian Wright. Certainly, I think he's, if that's an, that might be an indication, he has kind of pushed himself above Christian Nemeth. Um, but do you think this is uh, a good sign for Brian Wright? You think he, he might have some potential? Uh, what'd you make of his performance? I mean, I thought he had, I mean, he really didn't have that impactful of a, of a performance. I know that, you know, for the second straight week, we see uh, him drawing a, a potential penalty. Um, so, I mean, at least he is getting into positions in which he can he can threaten. But um, but I think to what you said, Greg, I think the most important thing in terms of his development is the fact that he's, he seems to have leapfrogged Namath as your uh, as your first striker off the bench kind of kind of player. So obviously he's he must be doing well in training um, if he's if he's getting the nod over Namath uh, in the last two games. So I just think that uh, I, th- I think there's certainly a room for improvement. I still think he's a little bit. I think he's still a little raw. I think his runs are pretty good, but we really haven't seen him kind of you know take hold of a situation and and really kind of like make his impact. And maybe that's coming. Maybe. Maybe I'm just in, too too impatient to say, ah, you know, we haven't seen we haven't seen enough, and you know, maybe we will see more, especially with these midweek games coming up, Open Cup games. But I think the fact that you're seeing Brian Wright come on the field before Christian Namath kind of speaks volumes, not only about Christian Namath, but also maybe about Brian Wright. Maybe maybe there's something there that uh, Friedel's seeing that we'll see too once uh, once it translates into him getting more minutes. And Brian, uh, one thing I was curious about was we're talking about Brian Wright and uh, him coming into the game. And I thought that was a bit of a curious situation, too, because uh, to me, I know they pushed Bunbury out to the wing. Maybe they didn't want uh, Teal Bunbury playing 90 minutes up top. But to me, you had Kellen Rowe available on the bench. I think he would have been a a better fit. Uh, He would have been someone to be able to possess the ball in midfield. Uh, He brings a little bit more veteran leadership than Brian Wright, who's gotten a little playing time. And Brian Wright's such an unknown commodity. Uh, I didn't know if you were going to get a lot from him on the road. Uh, so what did you think? Uh, to me, the the more likely substitution would have been bringing in Kellen Rowe uh, and playing him kind of along the right wing instead of uh, bringing Brian Wright. Uh, what did you think about the Revs not bringing in Kellen Rowe yesterday? I think it was more had to do with the fact that, that Friedel was looking at the game. It was a really fast-paced game. Obviously, the, the Whitecaps were running circles around the Revs on the wings. So I think the idea was maybe to get more speed on the wings by – by pushing Bunbury out wide and putting in right as as the as the lone striker, so to speak. So um, I think that it had more to do with trying to counteract the speed that uh, White, Whitecaps were playing with. And you know, by doing that, you you know, you put it you put out Teal Bunbury out wide. He's got more speed. He's I think a little bit better defensively than Rowe, um, and clearly faster than Rowe. I think he's clearly clearly faster than Rowe. Um, so I think I think it was the right move in the sense that. Um, you know, if given the choice, I could, you know, I could see why um, Bunbury pushing out Bunbury wide makes more sense, and then putting in Brian Wright as your as your striker was, you know, is probably your best option. Just for the fact that they were just, you know, the, the likes of Tichera and Davies were just tearing up the wings, and um, and I also think that's kind of like, you know, well, if you need to put your starting striker out wide uh, because your five three two isn't working. <laughs> maybe, maybe it may be time to scrap that five three two. but maybe that's a point that I should have, I should have said earlier, but I could see the re- the rationale behind why Friedel would, would do that. 
I feel like after last week's game, there's no amount of time. Like we, we could talk about this formation for another two hours and mm. it wouldn't be totally unjustified just because I feel like that's such a, such a big part of the game. But, uh, you know, we're, we're talking so much about the formation. I totally forgot to, about my takeaway from the game. I got so excited just to complain about the three five two that I suggested three weeks ago. But I, I just wanted to say that, especially missing last week's game and seeing the Revs kind of struggle on offense, uh, I, I think I've, I'm appreciating Diego Fagundes a little bit more. I think he's really coming into his own as a 10. Um, I think the first few weeks of the season, Fagundes, when he would get the ball, he kind of looked side to side or kind of back. He wouldn't really look forward. Uh, but we saw him make a couple of really, really good passes yesterday. Uh, on the Christian Pena one, he kind of had that outlet pass from the midfield to Pena, uh, leading him into space. That was a really, really nice ball. Uh, he also had the assist on the cross to Teal Bunbury. Uh, I thought was a perfectly placed ball. Uh, Fagundes seems to be uh, improving more and more every week as a 10. I know not everyone has sold as him as a 10, but uh, I thought for, especially with the contrast of not having Diego Fagundes last week, uh, I thought he was a really, really positive impact on the game maybe the player of the game for the revolution uh what 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 did you think of diego fagundes's performance uh, on saturday i think uh i think it was the kind of performance that made you uh that made you wonder what kind of impact he would have had you know against columbus because clearly that was a that was a, a game in which the entire revs you know offense kind of just looked you know really out of sorts and i think his his presence was certainly felt in that game and i and I know that um, I know that, that 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 was going to be that that was going to be a given anyways. Just just given the amount of uh, responsibility that's put on his shoulders by Brad Friedel. Um but it did so to that end. It didn't really shock me that he had a good game on Saturday because um, because you know that that's exactly what the Reds were missing the week before. Um, really, to your point, you know, did did really well to create. I think he led the team with three key passes. I just think that uh, and like you said, he's he has the vision. I feel like his vision is really has really improved over the course of the season, if we're going back to week one, where, you know, he's not just looking, you know, side to side, he's looking forward. Um, you know, he's, he's anticipating his teammates runs a little bit better. Uh, you know, obviously that, that pass to, um, that the pass to set up Bunbury's goal was, was a key indication of that. So I think that, I think that he's really coming into his own as that number 10, um, which I'll be honest in full, in, in full disclosure, you know, I said at the beginning of the season that he was a guy that just really couldn't be trusted to, just to stay in that role throughout the entire season, I just didn't think that he had uh, he had ever really been consistent in that role um, during any point of his career. I know that he was tried out the ten in twenty fifteen when Jermaine's when Jermaine Jones started the season off with uh, with the injury, uh, which kind of forced Jay Heaps to use um, usually from from the ten to use him more as an eight, um, which opened up a spot for Diego as a ten uh, in the earlier part of twenty fifteen, and really kind of didn't fit into that role, that role really well. So I was a little skeptical about how he would do this year in that role, given another chance, as we saw yesterday. I think I think yesterday was another indication that he really is um, developing into the kind of ten that Friedel's uh, Friedel's asking him to be. Yeah, and it's interesting too. We talk about you know Kellen Rowe, uh, who's you know not not even being used in this game, and uh, you know Lee Wynn obviously was another person that fell victim to Brad Friedel's system, uh, quote unquote. But it seems like Diego Fagundes is the, the polar opposite, where uh, he's beginning to thrive. Brad Friedel obviously sees a lot of potential in him. It seems like Diego Fagundes has been the guy since day one. I mean, so many positions uh, and the depth chart has changed so much uh, with the revolution. Uh, but Diego Fagundes has seemingly, you know, held down that 10 spot and there seems to be a lot of trust there. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. Uh, it's kind of exciting to see him uh, starting to make some 
more, I don't want to say more dangerous passes, but uh, some pa- more passes forward and, and finding guys like Bunbury and uh, Christian Pania. Um, and on that note, it should be noted that since we're recording this a day later, we get the benefit of uh, seeing who the, is on the MLS team of the week. Christian Pania uh, makes the team of the week after I think it's his fourth, fourth week of the season. He's, he's made team of the week, obviously had that really, really nice goal, uh, had that cross uh, that turned into an own goal. So he was a major, major factor on two of those goals. Um, and another thing, too, is Teal Bunbury, another controversial decision at the beginning of the season. Uh, he seemed to really come into his own. A very nice goal where he, he seemingly forced a turnover kind of in the Vancouver third uh, and then got up, made another uh, great run and a uh, really, really solid finish. So any thoughts on Teal Bunbury or Christian Pania and their performance yesterday that you want to add on to? Yeah, Pania's performance was perfectly suited for that game. I mean, speed versus speed. Um, it was going to be the kind of game where I thought he was going to thrive anyways, um, and he certainly did. You know, So I think uh, I, I wasn't surprised by his performance at all. I, I think what you said earlier about Fagundes also kind of translates to um, also Teal Bunbury's kind of you know season. And I think the word they used for, for, um, for, for Fagundes was trust. And I think trust is really a big thing, not only for him, but I also think it's a big thing for, for Teal. Because I think if you look at both players, I think... They've, you know, under heaps, they, they were both kind of like switched in and out of spots. They weren't really, I, I think, in my opinion, really given much of an opportunity to, to really kind of acclimate to the spots that they were, that they were given under, under heaps. I think heaps had kind of, I won't say a shorter leash because I think he certainly gave both players the opportunity to um, take, take to the roles while he was in, in the heap system, while they were in the heap system. But I think it's the trust. I really think it's the trust that. Um, that was missing under heaps with both Bunbury and uh, Fagunas. And I know that it's, I know, you know, I know we've been saying it all season. It's, it's early, it's early, but, you know, it's not as early as it was earlier. And, you know, I know that's kind of a, <laughs> a kind of a funny thing to say, but I think as the season develops, um, you know, Friedel's standing by them. Friedel is standing by Fagunas as his 10. He's standing by Bunbury as his 9. Um, and I think it's, uh, I think it's paying dividends to that, you know, a trust for both players really has gone a long way for uh, has really gone a long way not only for them but for the team I think that that trust um, g- given to the right players can can really make all the difference and I, I was gonna say I mean we talked about Teal Bunbury whether or not he could start I think I said I'd like him to come off of the bench I mean we talk about you know Somi and who to start in the midfield and who to start along the back line I can't remember the last time we talked about who should start up top you know do yeah. we put Agadell up top and Bunbury has really really thrived in that role and he's been that, it's just been an amazing call for Brad Friedel, I'd say, so far this season. So, I mean, kudos to him. He, he certainly sees some things that a lot of us didn't see and Jay Heaps didn't see. And, uh, you know, he, he kind of shook things up. And uh, I got to say, uh, it's it, Bunbury has certainly worked, along with Matt Turner, the best goalkeeper in MLS, of course. Uh, <laughs> had a bit of a rough game. You know, the sun was in his eyes, you know, for three of those goals. But, but you know, we still love you, Matt. Uh, but talking about Teal Bunbury... Uh, I wanted to get into the guy he replaced, uh, Kai Kamara, who had a bit of a poor game yesterday. Uh, had a had a really great shot at the seemingly like the the first possession of the game, uh, and then he also had another confusing play where uh, there was a bit of a fast break. I think it was Davies that passed him the ball, and instead of firing a shot on target, maybe he was just super intimidated by Matt Turner and didn't want to shoot. But he, it seemed like he tried passing back and just. It was kind of a weird scuffed shot uh, pass that really didn't work out. What'd you think of Kai Kamara? Do you have any thoughts on him? I mean, I thought he was going to be a much bigger factor in the game, didn't you? I thought so too. I mean, I thought this was the kind of game that he would 
he was going to thrive. Just a fast game, lots of crosses from, you know, from his white cap teammates, and just his inability to really capitalize on a game that was basically, you know, tailored for him. It's just it's just surprising. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've seen Kai Kamara play play that poorly within a within a um, you know within the context of a game that I've watched start to start to finish. I just don't think that he was. Uh, I, I just don't think that he was mentally, you know, in the game. Uh, you know, maybe that first that first botched attempt had you know maybe weighed on him throughout the game and kind of affected him on that second chance um, because he really that was not a confident at all. Um, touch decision, what have you, whatever you want to call it, it was just terrible. So I think that maybe the first led to the second, if we're talking about the uh, missed sitter, so to speak. But I just don't think that I think that this was this was his kind of game, and I don't think he he rose to the occasion. Um, you know, fortunately for the Revs, uh, that he didn't because this you know, if he makes one of those if he makes one of those two shots, they walk out of there um, without any points and getting a four another four goal performance laid on them. Could, could have been it could have been just a worse situation and it's funny too because uh as, as an out-of-towner i had to watch on mls live and so i had the vancouver broadcast and they pointed out that you know kamara's missed two really really nice chances so of course you know they they almost expected him to to mm. convert the really really difficult play that would be the backbreaker for the revs and i was half expecting it the whole time even though I was watching it on tape delay, and I knew the result. <laughs> so uh, it, it was a very, very strange game for Kai Kamara. Um, I really was expecting him to come out, and uh, you know, in the Kai Kamara revenge game, uh, you know, there was such great service uh, from the Whitecaps the entire game. The fact that Kamara wasn't on the end of one of those crosses was really, really surprising to me. So. Revs got away with way with one. I'd say uh, overall, it was a crazy three-three game. At the start of the game, if you told me they'd take away a point, I would be happy with it. But the way it unfolded, it reminded me a lot of the Seattle game last year, where they came out, they they outpossessed the Whitecaps in the first half, they outshot them in the first half, and still only take away one point. Really, really disappointing uh, road point for the Revs, if that's humanly possible. So, moving on, looking forward, the Revolution come back home. Uh, this is their first midweek match uh they're playing this wednesday against atlanta who obviously one of the top teams in mls but they've lost two of their uh last three both of those losses coming at home one of them against the red bulls brian what is your prediction for the match and what do you think we're going to see formation wise and do you think we're going to see any lineup changes in terms of of subs i think we'll definitely see lineup changes just for the fact that it's a it's a short week um, I think we'll probably if i if i had to guess um i would say that tierney gets back into the lineup especially after Somi's performance, um, and you also have a uh, Christiani that's you know well rested as well. I think you'll probably see that. Um, I think you'll probably see uh, return to the your your standard four four man back line because um, I think this is the kind of game you really don't want to take any chances. I think you want you want you you want as much consistency in the rear as possible. That being said, I think that the line I think that the back line will be will be one of Tierney, Dielma, Annie, Bob, and Farrell. Um, I don't think this is a game where we see by. Or Somi, like I just uh, mentioned earlier. <laughs> so I think those will be the changes uh, as far as predictions go. Uh, you know, obviously everyone's coming in and saying, you know, Atlanta's coming in. You know, they're they're on they're on a longer rest. Uh, Revs on short rest. Um, you know, Atlanta is just you know obviously absolutely looking uh, looking great uh, as the top team in the East. Uh, but they do have some absences in the rear. Um, they do. Um, they won't. There's some kind of there's questions as to whether or not Franco Escobar will be available. 
Greg Garza and uh, Pierez are both suspended for that game due to the uh, due to the suspensions they received in that in the game versus Red Bulls. Um, so I think it won't be as much of a blowout as maybe a lot of people might be predicting. So I'll say uh, I'll say three two. Um, I'll say three two Atlanta only for the fact that um, I just still think that they have the horses in the midfield and the and up front to really terrorize the Revolution backline, which I don't think really anyone should have a ton of trust in. Um, I think the Reds will certainly get their goals, but I think that this is too too high high power to line up, too high power in offense for the Revolution to contain even at home. It's an interesting uh, thought. I actually am kind of going the opposite way. I'm thinking a one one draw. I think it's going to be kind of a game that is going to be kind of sloppy on both ends. I, I think we see. I, I, I agree with your thoughts on the back line. I think the three five two five three two kind of experiment is over at least in the short term. We might see it later on in the season. I think Friedel wants to get Brandon by some minutes, and I think Brandon by does have a lot of potential. We haven't seen a lot of results, but uh, Brandon by certainly can take guys on one on one, and I, I think we'll see Brandon by a lot more later on in the year. Uh, but for right now, I think against Atlanta, they go back to that four man back line. I do think we see Chris Tierney. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Scott Caldwell start over Caicedo. Uh, I know we talked about how Caicedo had kind of a bit of a rough game uh, last week, uh, and it just seemed to me that Caicedo might be given at least the midweek game off, uh, kind of to clear his head. Um, it just seems like a, a type of performance that Brad Friedel might want to rest a guy, kind of rotate in another guy, get Scott Caldwell some minutes, and then I think we might see Caicedo start for Caldwell uh, against the New York Red Bulls uh, next Saturday too. So, uh, But I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw. I think it's going to be a bit of a slow game, but you know, Fortress Foxborough, uh, I think, and the Revs have kept up with TFC. They've kept up with Sporting Kansas City at home. I, I think the Revs are in a need for three points i think they take one next week so uh, it should be a good game i'm excited to see atlanta it'll be a bit of an interesting one uh do you have any thoughts on the new york red bull i know predicting a game two two games in advance is a bit weird but we don't have another episode do you have any predictions on new york red bulls i'll say uh, i'll say that one will be a lower scoring game than uh than the midweek game versus atlanta so i'll say for red bulls i'll say i'll say two one revs um i think that um Again, I I think that the Revs, depending upon how the when how the Wednesday game goes, um, I I just think that you know you'll have your more your more normal lineup so to speak in that game. Um, so I think that'll be a game in which uh, you know barring any kind of significant injuries in the Wednesday game, I think that'll be a game that the Revs have a better chance of winning. Yeah, and I I agree with that too. I think of the two games, the Red Bulls game has a higher percentage chance of winning. It's hard to kind of see what, what's happening without seeing what happens on Wednesday. But I, I predict something kind of similar. I think the Revs kind of break their winless streak, if they, if, <laughs> assuming they don't win against Atlanta. Uh, and I think they take three points against the Red Bulls. I'll go two to nothing, just to differ. I was going to say two to one, but I can't steal your prediction because you steal my predictions, not the opposite. You're, you're uh, one stolen prediction, Greg. <laughs> um, looking forward, though, uh, it should be noted that just kind of wrapping up things, the Revs U.S. Open Cup draw uh, came in. Uh, they're playing June 6th at Louisville City. Uh, that's a bit of a bad draw, I'd say, for the Revs. Not necessarily. They, they, they avoid the MLS side, but uh, their fixture with the USL team will be they got to travel quite a distance for it, too. Uh, it's not like they're going to Rochester or Pittsburgh. They're going all the way down to Louisville, uh, who, have, who has a very, very strong USL team. But on the bright notes, uh, Juan Agudelo reportedly is close to returning. Uh, he's just kind of catching up in fitness at this point, so I wouldn't be shocked to see him start. 
I'll say Saturday. I think Wednesday might be pushing a little bit too much, but it sounds like really, really positive developments for Agadello. Uh, and then it also should be noted that Mark Sugbers, <clears throat> Sugbers uh, who was loaned to uh, Orange County SC, he's been recalled, uh, and it, seems, it sounds like Friedel wants a little bit more depth. Maybe he plays him in the Brandon by position. Uh, he's been playing kind of right midfield uh, for Orange County, uh, 11 games, Six starts, two goals, three shots on targets, three assists, ten key passes, seventy-five percent pass accuracy. So, uh, in a short in a short time down at the USL, uh, he's been playing pretty well. Uh, I certainly would expect him to see him in the U.S. Open Cup match. Um, Brian, let's uh, wrap things up. Do you have any shout-outs this week? Yeah, I want to shout out if we're talking about the Louisville City game. Uh, I know that's next week, uh, but my shout-out is going to go to two former Revs on their roster, Paulo de Piccolo. And Luke Spencer, uh, two guys with Revolution ties. Um, Luke Spencer, I believe, was a second-round pick, I think, in 2013, if my memory serves me correctly, um, was actually picked just ahead of Donnie Smith, if I remember, if I recall correctly. So good to see him still in the game. I know that he had, I know that he had suffered, I believe, a knee injury while he was with the Revs and never really, obviously, caught on. Um, so it's good to see him succeeding down in Louisville, and obviously Paulo Del Piccolo, a guy that I know that. Jay Heaps raved about that preseason, the preseason they brought him in. I think that was also 2013. Good to see him also still in the game and still uh, still playing uh, still playing soccer. So we'll see two familiar faces when that game uh, when that game gets streamed. I, I'm really surprised your shout out did not go to Diego Kobayashi because I know you're anything Diego you're all over on Twitter. I see. It seems like we got a weekly <laughs> Kobayashi update. <laughs> I think he scored a brace the other day in the U.S. Open Cup or the USL. He did. He did. Exciting! Exciting. Yep. Couple shoutouts. Uh, I wanted to give a shout out to the Elm City Express, who uh, had a really, really hard fought game against Charleston of the USL uh, last week uh, in their U.S. Open Cup match. Uh, they fell one to nothing on an 83rd minute goal. You know, really, really great job by uh, them. They're a fairly relatively new team and. In one season and one month, they've uh, already had a decent U.S. Open Cup run uh, and an NPSL championship. So really, really exciting uh, from Elm City Express. Uh, And I also want to give a shout out to uh, Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time. No dispute. Just want to throw that out there. So (laughs) you know what's more impressive than uh, eight Eastern Conference championships? Six NBA titles in eight years. Just saying that. Just wanted to say that, Brian. I, I didn't think that was an argument, but I go on Twitter and somehow that's being argued. So anyway, just a little and to end on a bitter note, talking about talking about leads that were choked over the weekend. But um, and, and to tie in that shout out to soccer, I want to also point out, Greg, that Michael Jordan was also an honorary captain for the 1994 U.S. World Cup. I believe he was an honorary captain for the U.S. So I just want to tie it all together. That there is that soccer connection. Yeah, and I mean, really, if LeBron cares so much about Ohio, doesn't he save the crew? You know what I mean? Like, if he's so great. <laughs> I mean, if they move to Austin, that's kind of on him. Just saying. Hi, everyone. You can probably tell between the audio quality, we had some technical difficulties. Uh, you didn't miss much after that uh, last bit. We had some more terrible, terrible jokes about LeBron relocating the franchises. So, uh, And then we had some issues with our microphones that, of course, only happen when Sean is gone and I'm responsible for editing the podcast. So we want to thank you again for listening to uh, an episode of uh, Revolution Recap. You can follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap. You can also find follow Brian at, at Brian O'Connell 21 And you can follow 
follow Sean at Sean L. Donahue. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Until next week, take care. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.